0: are listening to a podcast from The National.
1: Just two hours ago, Allied air forces began an attack on military targets in Iraq and Kuwait.
2: It was January 1991 when the late President George H.W. Bush announced America's intervention in Kuwait.
1: This conflict started August 2nd when the dictator of Iraq invaded a small and helpless neighbor.
2: Five months earlier, Iraqi dictator Saddam Hussein had invaded and annexed its tiny neighbor. Against the backdrop of the American flag, 67-year-old Bush senior said coalition forces had started bombarding Iraqi targets.
1: The battle has been joined.
2: He sold the war to the American public by citing the need to protect what he called a small and helpless country. So it was that he became the first member of the Bush family to launch a military operation against Saddam. Twelve years later, his son would invade Iraq and topple the dictator.
1: The 28 countries with forces in the Gulf area have exhausted all reasonable efforts to reach a peaceful resolution. Have no choice but to drive Saddam from Kuwait by force. We will not fail.
2: With the passing of the senior George Bush this past week, we remember the first Gulf War and look at the many ripple effects the American intervention in Kuwait and Iraq has had over the past 27 years. We'll get perspectives from one Kuwaiti whose country was perhaps saved by the war.
0: He definitely has a special place in many Kuwaitis' hearts.
2: And from an Iraqi whose family had to flee from destruction.
3: They blame him for everything, even the juniors, not only the
2: seniors. This is Beyond the Headlines, and I'm Sofia Barbarani.
1: Arab leaders sought what became known as an Arab solution, only to conclude that Saddam Hussein was unwilling to leave Kuwait.
2: In February 1991, the American-led coalition finally pushed the Iraqis back across the Kuwaiti border. Fast forward 27 years, and Kuwaitis are still grateful for Bush Sr., a hero to many.
1: Our objectives are clear. Saddam Hussein's forces will leave Kuwait, The legitimate government of Kuwait will be restored to its rightful place. And Kuwait will once again be
2: free. George H.W. Bush, the 41st American president, died this past week on November 30th. In Kuwait, the capital city's landmark towers lit up with an image of the late president and of the American flag. We talked to Nasser Al-Wazmi, who grew up in Kuwait and covers the Gulf region for the national. Nasser, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So you were born and raised in Kuwait, and you were a kid when the war began, but you remember it vividly. I realize it's a very personal topic for you, and I appreciate you taking the time to to talk. But let me ask you a more analytical question. Did President Bush Sr. step into Kuwait for humanitarian reasons, or do you think it had more to do with oil?
0: Well, I think it's both, Sophia. In terms of oil, if Saddam had succeeded in holding on to Kuwait and then went on to invade Saudi Arabia, he would have effectively controlled the majority of the world's oil reserves. This is a man who was no friend to the United States at the time of the first Gulf War. The relationship waned early on in the Iraq-Iran war. Controlling that, oil meant that he would have had free reign and he would have turned to Israel next, which is America's number one ally in the region. On a humanitarian level, Bush at home said that he was going to intervene in the first Gulf War to fight for freedom, to fight for, for democracy. At the same time, this was America's unipolar moment. Soviet Union had disintegrated And it was time for America to set the tone, so to speak, of its foreign policy and its willingness to intervene in conflict around the world.
2: So Bush Sr. passed away last week on November 30th. Can you tell us in Kuwait what the civilian and political reaction to this was?
0: Politically, the emir of Kuwait, Sabah al-Ahmed, sent his condolences to the Bush family. He also sent a senior Kuwaiti diplomat to Washington to attend the ceremony. Socially, uh, on a civilian level, it was more heartfelt. The Kuwait towers, the hallmark building of Kuwait, went dark earlier this week. And then when it was lit back up, it was illuminated by an image of Bush Sr. and the two Kuwaiti flags side by side. His image, that represents that his image still looms large, and it does in the public consciousness of Kuwaiti's Uh, both from my generation and those that are older especially, that this man stepped in to fight for Kuwait and its sovereignty.
2: And this was last week. Let me go back to 1990, when the war began. Many Kuwaitis left the country, fearing for their lives. Did you stay? Did your family stay? Or were you forced to flee as well?
0: Our family decided to stay. The extended family Mostly decided to stay in Kuwait as part of the resistance. We published and helped, or we helped publish the underground resistant newspaper. My uncle was a politician, member of parliament, and the Iraqis really wanted him to side with Iraq to legitimize the government in Kuwait, which he refused to do. All the while, all the men in my family decided to grow beards as part of uh, a symbol of resistance against the Iraqi occupation of Kuwait, and they didn't shave it until Kuwait was liberated.
2: So you were a kid at the time. You were, what, four years old? Yeah. Do you remember a sense of danger at all when the war was ongoing?
0: Well, as a four-year-old, and especially when the war started, I had actually, I had no idea why. We were. We had moved to the basement. We were living at the time in a 6 apartment building uh that was owned by my dad and his brothers and all the families moved to the basement as part of a security measure in case a bomb went off or not you're better off underground whenever bombs did go off uh to make sure that i wouldn't be scared my dad would actually grab a huge traditional pillow which uh, is part of a ground seating for bedouins and he'd slam on the floor and it would kind of create that deep bassy sound that you would imagine you'd hear in a basement. I didn't know anything was going on until they actually took my dad and my uncles uh, as prisoners. And that lasted for a while. And that's when I saw my mom tense up and everyone in the family was beginning to worry. Uh I got a glimpse of it, obviously, and I understood that this was not exactly a fun field trip to the basement of our house with all my cousins. Since then, retelling the stories and whatnot has kind of they've been included as part of my memory. So, I can definitely say that from my end, it was a bit more childhood folly. Whereas for everyone else in my family who was older, it was. Definitely a troubling and stressful time.
2: So there must have been a sense of relief when then-President Bush decided to intervene in Kuwait and push out the Iraqi military.
0: One of my earliest and most vivid memories is of Kuwait City bursting into a parade. Uh, The flag flying again, which I obviously recognize that for. Uh, After eight months of it being an Iraqi flag across the street, from where we were living at the time, was a school, a public school. And on the tallest building, there was a flag, of the Iraqi flag flying. In February, when Kuwait was liberated, it was replaced with a Kuwaiti flag. In the parade, singing songs, singing the national anthem uh, in the cars. And then, of course, as part of the images that we were holding up was a picture of Bush or Baba Bush, as many of the kids were calling him, it's uh, Baba being the Arabic word for father. So he's definitely has he definitely has a special place in many Kuwaitis' hearts. He's regarded as a hero in the country, and he really set up the fondness that Kuwaitis have with Americans, and that extends to the political realm. There's a special relationship happening there because of the history between the two countries.
2: And it's now 27 years since the start of the first Gulf War. Bush Sr., as we said, died a week ago. What would you say is his most lasting legacy in the region?
0: As I mentioned earlier, Bush, he set precedent for future presidents in terms of why America would go to a foreign land, dedicate their sons and daughters, to fight in a war that really they have not much to do with. When you read the transcripts between the American ambassador in Iraq and Saddam before the Gulf War, she said that America is not involving itself in Arab conflict. But we know that is not true. His son, Bush Jr., almost a decade later, went back into Iraq to quote, finish the job that his father had started. And that was a lot of the same narrative that was being played by his father, except obviously it was not as internationally supported as the first Gulf War. He went in there to fight for democracy and to fight for freedom. And at the end of the day, he was he truly believed that he was fighting for his father's legacy. And I think 20 years from now, if Iraq is A fully functioning country, the Bush senior Bush junior duo will be remembered as the American presidents who were able to successfully topple the Iraqi dictator Saddam Hussein, this tyrant in the region.
2: Nasser al Wazmi, thank you so much for
0: joining us today. Thanks for having me, Sophia.
1: When peace is restored, it is our hope that Iraq will live as a peaceful and cooperative member of the family of nations, thus enhancing the security and stability of the Gulf.
2: Nasser alluded not just to the legacy Bush Sr. left in Kuwait, but across the region too. So we also wanted to talk to an Iraqi who lived through the first Gulf War. We called Sahela Darwish in London. Mrs. Darwish was born in 1936, the daughter of Iraq's first attaché to Palestine. She went on to study biology in Cardiff and marry Hafif al-Drubi, one of Iraq's most prominent painters, known for his use of Cubism to depict Baghdad's day-to-day life and its people. Today, Mrs. Darwish resides in the UK, but 27 years ago, when the first Gulf War began, she lived with her family in her native Baghdad. She joined us on the phone and told us about how she remembers the coalition's first bombing in Baghdad.
3: Oh, yes. The first bombing was about two o'clock in the morning. I was sleeping and, uh, you know, I heard the bomb and I was shocked. You see, my house is open, all windows. So the only place we can hide, it was a very small corner between the wall and the fridge. So we were all covered with a blanket, shivering. It was a horrible time. We, you know, it was really terrible yes.
2: feeling. And and after this yeah. first bombing that you felt that night, how did the yeah. how did life change day to day life? How did it change in Baghdad for you and for your family and the people around you?
3: Well, we were all scared. We were shocked. We don't know what to do. Uh, what will happen? Will it last? Will it be for just one day? And then the bombing was for the whole day. During the night, we used to go to a shelter, which is a basement in a building in the road by, you know, near to where we live. And in the morning, we go back to the house. It was terrible, terrible. I mean, no electricity, no water, no heating. You know, yeah. you can imagine what uh, war will be. For people, innocent people, of suffering course. for what? For nothing.
2: And was there a sense that Saddam Hussein was to blame for this? Or was there a sense that the Americans and the coalition were to blame for this?
3: Well, I blame all the all the people who collaborate in hurting us. They could have resolved
2: this peacefully. Do you feel like, in general, um, Iraqis supported Saddam's decision to invade Kuwait, or were people against it?
3: Well, for that reason, of course, we were all against it. Only, Not only we blame Saddam, we blame all the 36 countries who were against one tiny Iraqi country. You see, what for? They could have uh, sit down and resolve the problem yeah. peacefully yeah. and avoid all this chaos and what has happened after it. The people migrated, the terrible situation in Iraq. Up to now, Iraqi is suffering because of that uh, uh, invasion
2: of the war. So yeah. do you feel like... Iraq's suffering is also a legacy of Bush senior and his decision yeah. to intervene definitely, definitely, definitely.
3: There are uh, so many reasons why they invade they bombed Iraq and they want to to control not only Iraq the whole area.
2: So it's been, uh, it's been many years since, since you left and, and since the first Gulf War ended. How do you yeah. think, how do, you, how do Iraqis remember Bush Sr. today?
3: Well, from my point of view, I mean, they blame him for everything. Even the junior, not only the senior.
1: Saddam was warned over and over again to comply with the will of the United Nations, leave Kuwait or be driven out. Saddam has arrogantly rejected all warnings. Instead, he tried to make this a dispute between Iraq and the United States of America. Well, he failed.
2: These were two sides of a military intervention that liberated one country and shattered another. Bush Sr.'s death was mourned in tiny Kuwait, where his readiness for war was welcomed. While in neighboring Iraq, the long-lasting effects of the first Gulf War can be found in the country's ongoing troubles. Thanks to Suhaila Darwish and Nasser al-Wazmi for their time. Read more of our coverage of the Middle East on our website, thenational.ae. Subscribe to Beyond the Headlines on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. I've been your host, Sofia Barbarani. Join us again next week.